Welcome to Horror Strap. Hello, welcome back to Horror Struck. My name is Cecilia Talbert. I'm Riley Ott. And here at Horror Struck, we talk all things horror, but mostly movies, because we like movies. Because they're easy and great. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, today's going to be a mess. I don't have anything to report up top. I haven't been doing anything except working and watching the Great British Baking Show, so I'm useless. You know what? The other day, you sent me a message about the great british baking show and you said did you know that's not what it's actually called or you said it's not actually called the great british bake-off and it is they just changed the name in america for whatever reason and i i don't know why because it's not like we can't figure out what a baking show is about oh they say baking show when they introduce the show though the hosts maybe it used to be bake-off but they changed it but when they introduce it like noel noel is one of the hosts they say the baking show. Yeah, he's that guy from that stuff. You know, that goth guy. I don't know. I just know that it it's the same thing. And I don't know why it has two names. And I don't know if they are making an American one, though. And I'm very excited about it. Mostly because Darcy Carden's going to be on it. So you haven't been watching anything? Uh, No, just that. Oh, shit. Okay, I guess I have to talk about movies then. I've watched some movies. Would you like to hear about them? Sure. Okay, I watched... Shit, what did I watch? Oh, I watched a movie. It was called... Devil's Pass. It was a found footage movie about these stupid hikers that go on this stupid mountain and they do a bunch of stupid shit. And it was so boring up until the last five minutes and it had such a good ending and I was so mad that that was the movie that the ending was attached to. Oh, well, that's good. But it also had really stupid CGI at the end, which kind of ruined the good ending too. It, It just basically turned into the descent for the last five minutes. And then had some time travel stuff. And I was like, oh, that was kind of cool. I found out why they changed the name. Of the Great British Bake Off? (laughs) Yes. Okay, why? It's because Pillsbury owns the right to the phrase Bake Off. What? Why? I I have no idea. So they had to, so they renamed it. I don't know if they renamed it in England, but Pillsbury owns the rights to the term bake-off in the U.S. People shouldn't be allowed to own the rights to words and phrases. That's strange. Except for those people who own the rights to the phrase white lives matter because it's preventing Kanye West from selling his stupid merch. And I think like a, you know, Black Lives Matter organization owns that phrase. So that that one's fine. The rest, yeah, it's just words. Shut the fuck up. But I did watch a good movie. Do you want to talk about the good movie I watched? Sure. Okay, I watched this movie called Savage Land, and it's based in Arizona, and it was another found footage movie, and it was about this man who was an undocumented immigrant, and he was living in the town, and it was super small. There were only like 50 or 60 people there, and he was the only survivor. Something happened, and everyone else was just slaughtered and dead. And the people in the next town over were like, well, that guy did it since he's the only survivor. And it was very good. But I also took an edible right before I watched it. (laughs) And I forgot that it wasn't a documentary and just started crying and was like, how could this happen? (laughs) And then was like, oh, it didn't. Oh, that's hilarious. It was not at the time. I was very upset because there were a bunch of like dead children that they were talking about. Oh, ooh. 
Yeah, I was having a crisis. Where is it streaming? I have watched everything on Tubi lately. Okay. Because it's free and I don't care about ads because that just gives me time to look at my phone. Oh, I did watch this movie. Oh, yeah. You watched this movie that we're going to talk about right now, maybe? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, let's talk All about right. it. So, well, you you picked it. I picked it. Okay, so we're going to talk about The Changeling from 1980, directed by Peter Medak. What's it about? Should I tell them? Sure. I mean, we're going to go into the plot, but feel free. Okay. Well, then fuck you guys. You'll find out along the way. (laughs) This is a haunted house movie. It's the classic. Besides The Haunting, it is the classic haunted house horror movie. And surprisingly enough, people don't talk about it a lot. You know what? I think I figured out why. This movie, unfortunately, came out in 1980. And you know what the biggest horror movie of 1980 was The Shining. So I think it just kind of got outshined by The Shining. (laughs) Uh, Uh, It did make a decent amount of money, though, for its budget. You know, good. And this movie, it's not super flashy. So I'm imagining it didn't have a huge budget other than to probably build this house. Because I I think the interior of the house was all a set. Yeah, and the outside of the house was also a set. Oh, really? Did they build a whole house? No, they built a facade and then they set it on fire at the end. They do. They do that in the movie. I see it happen. Was that real fire? Was I watching the destruction (laughs) of their set? That's intense. Oh, spoilers. Sorry, the the house burns down at the end. (laughs) You're listening to this. Yeah, full thing is spoilers. (laughs) If Um... you clicked on this... And you had no idea what this podcast was about. I'm so sorry. I was very excited that it that you were able to figure out what I was talking about when I said this movie does remind me. I had another movie in mind when I watched it the first time. And automatically you were like, yeah, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, once I started it. So The Changeling, I think most modern haunted house movies and shows that I have watched, they borrow a lot from this film. Yeah. I think there's one in particular that I it's not a remake, but it definitely took the most elements from the film. And honestly, I I like the way that they did it because the changeling and spoilers, the ring is the movie that we're going to, you know, compare it to. <laughs> um, yes. They both have this really great balance between being a horror film and being a mystery film as well and i i really liked it i like this movie a lot yeah i also really like this movie i i just think it's like really well shot the god the music in this movie is beautiful okay this time i did notice i paid attention to the score a lot well because the music is a kind of a key part of it it's kind of a character itself because our protagonist is a composer so he bought this house or rented this house in this secluded area so that he could go and play his piano and compose music without bothering anyone else. And George C. Scott in this movie is phenomenal. He's so good. George C. Scott in this film does such a great job. The movie does such a great job of making him such a likable character so quickly 
that you are fully invested in everything this man is doing from the get-go. It is great. His performance is incredible, and it's just subtle enough so that he's not like, you know, the hammy guy screaming at the walls in the haunted house. I loved him. Uh, His wife plays opposite, or his, you know, he has passed, but his wife is alive. Trish Trish Vanderdeer plays opposite of him. She's also great. I really liked everyone in this movie. Yes. Yes. I concur. Hell yeah. I liked it a lot more than I thought it I would. That's good. Yeah. I have great taste in movies, guys. <laughs> I I like all the scares in this movie because I think they're, I mean, at the end, they get a little bombastic, but up to that point, they're all very subtle. I like the build and I like the reveal and I like the idea of that ghost ghost stories have where they they make the characters really introspective and i like what the house represents like he's in this big empty lonely house and that's exactly kind of how he feels oh yeah they do a great job with the symbolism and with a lot of the like way that it's shot so that you can see just how big the house is and how lonely he must feel they do a good job like representing that on screen yeah but i agree i think the way that this movie is paced it's very much like a slow burn the scares are all really subtle there's really nothing where anything is like jumping out at you at any point there's not except the wheelchair well yeah that'll (laughs) chase you around the house but i still think the way that they did that everything is so subtle building up to the climax that it just makes everything you know so much bigger at the end yeah you want to talk about the plot we'll just get into it talk about everything else as we talk through plot yeah let's 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 talk about the movie my god what a sad beginning to this movie it starts with it starts with our main character his name is john russell he's played by george c scott it's him his wife and his daughter pushing their car through the snow because it's you know like broken down or something and so he goes into the phone booth to call a mechanic and while that is happening his wife and his daughter are having a snowball fight it's not a snow plow is it is it just a truck i can't remember i think it's just like i a- think it is a snow plow because i wrote down they got plowed once they uh <sighs> they, they get, get hit by the they snow get hit by a truck die. i think it's a truck well, it doesn't matter. Way, they get they, they are not alive. The movie begins with the death of his wife and his daughter. You have all these quick cuts where it's it's him at his apartment and then him having memories of like his daughter and she had this rubber ball that she threw around. It's really effective and really heartbreaking. And another thing I really like about this movie is that they let you linger. So instead of cutting away from scenes really quickly, they let you kind of sit with the characters for a second. I think it's really effective. Yeah, they want you to be just as sad (laughs) as this man who has lost his entire family. And it works. I am very empathetic towards this character. So the movie really picks up, I think it's like four months after the accident. Russell is, he has to get as far away from where he used to live. So he moves from New York City to Seattle he is able to get this big historical house through um claire who is like she works with the historical society so he runs this big house so that he can compose in it and it's he's very isolated it's huge he does have like a he has a couple cleaners but yeah he just kind of moves into this old beautiful house uh spooky stuff starts happening yeah it starts happening 
pretty quick too and it's it's very subtle like he gets to the house we see all the stuff we see this big grand piano that he has and pretty soon after he's moved in the piano I think we just see like one note go down on the piano but it's playing itself so we are told basically immediately like hey this house probably haunted. Like I understand what the house is supposed to represent, but it, the concept of like you're all alone, let's move into this big fucking house is kind of funny. The main character's name is John Russell, right? Uh, and that is a nod to Russell Hunter, who has a story by credit on this film, because apparently this is based on bullshit. I call bullshit. I on this story. I don't know how I feel about it. But this is based on a quote-unquote real event that happened to this man, who was also a composer, moved to a house in Denver, Colorado, called the Henry Treat Mansion, or no, the Henry Treat Rogers Mansion. And then apparently the entire plot of this movie then played out. I don't know what you want to do with that information. Take it with a grain of salt, I'd assume. But yeah, apparently this is also based on a true story. And that's why this man is secluded in the middle of Seattle for no reason, seemingly. I mean, I think when when Claire shows him the house, she says the reason she thought about him was because of the music room that was in it. I I mean, I guess his thought is just like, well, I'm only going to use a couple parts of the house, so it's fine. It's a really pretty house. Yeah, and they tell him, like, we'll have people from the historical society who he is renting the house from come and take care of the, you know, parts of the house you aren't going to be using. I thought that they were all ghosts. I was trying so hard (laughs) to figure out what was going on. Uh, Like the the gardener comes inside and I was like, he's definitely a ghost. (laughs) He's not. Um, Yeah, they do a good job of establishing how renowned john russell is as a composer because he's also working for like the university and he has a lecture and like a bunch of people are there that's pretty funny this was the scene that made me love him i wanted to be in that class because it is like filled to the brim there are people standing because there are no seats he's cracking jokes about you know how they probably aren't all taking this class I like him a lot. He's a really, really great main character. Along with that, we do get a little introduction to Senator Carmichael. Uh, That'll become more important later on in the story. That's also part of showing, like, how popular John Russell is, because I think it's a concert for something he's composed. But we go back to the house, back to the haunted house. Before we go back, though, more importantly than some old senator... We get to re-meet Claire, who sold him the house, and they start flirting. Or, you know, flirting as much as you can with a man whose whole family has just died. But they're cute, and I like them. Uh, yes. Yeah, Claire kind of becomes like his his pal who helps him throughout the movie. Yeah, his sidekick slash girlfriend, maybe. Yeah, we get a little bit more of the haunting happening. Um, there's some banging from the pipes. There's a moment where John is at the piano and the door behind him opens and he goes and looks and is like, "Hmm, weird. Yeah, he and Claire get a little bit closer. They go horseback riding. They do a quick cut to him, like, having memories of his family and crying, which, okay, they're showing him mourning, which I like. The haunting kind of starts to build. 
So there's a moment where he hears weird noise and goes upstairs and realizes the bathtub is like the faucet's running and he can't really figure it out, but he turns it off. Tub is running. Vision of child underwater. Yeah, he has like a, he sees a spooky reflection in the tub, which I do think was a little too much this early in the movie because the the scares have all been like a door creaks open but there's people in the house, so he doesn't, you know, think twice about it. He's like, oh, someone probably opened the door and then just didn't close it. Well, I think it works because it happens. You you kind of get a flash of it. So I don't think they linger on it too long. It almost seems like he might be cracking because of the grief. That's true. You can't really tell who it is at this point. So it may have just been another, like, PTSD flashback, like the one he had when they were horseback riding. And then the next day... He finds some broken glass outside and realizes it's from a window upstairs. And he's like, wait, where is that room? And he goes and explores and he realizes that what he thought was a closet actually has like a staircase behind it, like a stairway. And so he finds a secret attic room, which is just crazy. And he finds a music box and the music box is playing the tune that he has been composing this whole time. So it's kind of crazy. It's good. I think the whole spooky music box thing in modern horror haunted house movies is very overdone. But I think it works really, really well in this. I think a lot of those movies probably stole that from this. Yes, and... He's been recording his music as he's been composing it, so he plays them together and they're perfectly in time and sync. But that melody must have been very popular at one time or it wouldn't be on the music box. I agree, but I swear I never heard it before I played it and recorded it that day you came over. No, there's something, something. It's happened before here. I'm not the first. John asks her, do you know if anything weird happened in the house? Because of the room upstairs. And she's like, well, I know the history back to 1920. And when they go upstairs to explore, they find a journal that's dated from 1909. So this is before they know the history of the house. And that's when they also find the wheelchair, the tiny child wheelchair. It's so sad. It's very sad. Everything that we find out that has happened in this house is very sad. But I really like for... John's character, in in the context that this is a haunted house, he's very pragmatic. He's like, okay, I'm going to assume this house is haunted, I'm going to ask someone if it is, and then I'm going to start doing research, assuming that it is. Yeah, and I... no one thinks he's crazy. No. She said the house didn't want people, she's mistaken. Whatever it is, is trying desperately to communicate. It reminds me of the conversation we had when we talked about the haunting of Bly Manor. I feel like him and Danny are really similar characters where they're like, okay, this house is haunted. I'm going to ask someone and everyone around me believes me. And there's none of the like gaslighting bullshit. That's very much what happens in this. And they know almost right as soon as they start doing research that there's something fishy because they can't find any files from the house that are before 1920. And when they ask, there's another lady there and they ask her about it. She essentially just says, yeah, um, there was some sort of family tragedy that happened and they sold the house. 
So they're like, all right, let's go to the library and see if we can find some sort of news article about it. And this woman that Claire works with at the Historical Society that they are asking, she is super suspicious immediately. Like, I did not Gosh. trust her for she a knows second. What's up. Oh, yeah. So we're basically through her confirming that, yeah, something is wrong. Also, the dog is barking. So when they're at the library, the first thing they find talks about the daughter of the guy who owned the house. His daughter died when she ran in front of a coal cart. And so you think, oh, that must be the spirit of the little girl. Uh, It's not. They go to the cemetery to look at the graves because they're they're kind of tracking this mystery. And that is when Claire says, you know what? I bet the ghost is reaching out to you because you recently had a tragedy happen. And so somehow the spirit is relating to you. And that's why it's communicating. She's also just like, maybe you should leave and not stay in the house, which fair enough. Yeah, but then the movie would be over. So we can't do that. John gets back to the house and he sees Kathy's ball. Kathy is his daughter who passed. And so he decide, or it, it bounces down the stairs and he just can't take it. So he takes the ball, drives it to the river and throws it in the river. And he comes back and then the ball comes down the stairs again. And it's so unsettling. balls all wet now or was it i have no idea but that was a really good scare that just the ball like slowly bouncing down these creepy stairs is such a simple shot but it's so effective yeah and at this point we don't really know who the ghost is yet no so we don't know if it's like a very angry ghost and we also don't know like at this point could it be his daughter And she's trying to communicate? Like, it's got to be really confusing No, she didn't live in Seattle. Why would she be in this house? She's following him. It doesn't end up being her, but for him, that's got to, it's got to be, I don't know if you have someone pass that you are grieving, if it would be better to know about the existence of an afterlife or worse. Okay, so my dad died like five days ago. That's all I've been thinking about, mostly because I'm driving around in the car that he died in. Is it upsetting you? Uh, How's the car? No, the only thing that's upsetting me, I was not close to my dad. For anyone listening who thinks I'm insensitive, I hadn't talked to him in like six years. (laughs) The only thing that's upsetting is that now I'm like, is his spirit lingering in this car Can he hear me singing to the Britney Spears CD that I found inside of his car? I don't know. I I feel like I'm being watched, and I don't like that. And I also, he lived directly across the street from me, and now every time I go in the front yard, I have this weird thought where I'm like, oh, I hope my dad doesn't come outside to come talk to me, or I hope he can't see me from his house. And then I have a weird realization that he's dead. But I still feel like I'm being watched. It's very weird. So I I see what you're saying. Hmm. Maybe we should get you a sage stick. I mean, I'm more concerned about all the black mold, but sage couldn't hurt. (laughs) There was a lot of black mold in Um... his house, and he sealed it up like a tomb and was just breathing it in for years. And that's why we think he died. But the weirdest part, not weird because this has nothing to do with him dying, just very surreal, is that Uh after it happened, 
our friend of the podcast, Katie Parker, sent me a very nice voice memo about my dead dad. And I realized Katie Parker plays the scariest ghost in a movie or in a show about a family living in a haunted house full of black mold. So it's very sweet of her, but I'm also still very afraid of her so character. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, enough about my dead dad. John gets a medium. The medium comes out and they do some automatic writing. It's called scrying. Along with recording. We used to do this when we were uh, tweens. Yeah, it was never successful. No, it never actually worked, but I do know what it's called. The medium is pretty much is just like, I sense a child's presence here. Um, they're not at peace. They can't rest. They think the name of the little, little boy is Joseph. And he starts asking for help. Is there someone here you wish to communicate with? John. Help. 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 John. There's like a cone in the middle of the table. I have no idea what the cone is for. I, I assume uh, it gets all wobbly, and then a glass is thrown across the room and shatters. Yeah, what was the cone? Because my assumption was like no idea. If it like I don't know moves a certain way or like tilts to the left, it means yes, or to the right, it means no, or something like that. Could be possible. Yeah. So everybody leaves, and John is listening to the tape. He's listening back to the tape, and then uh, what does he hear? Uh, he hears a little voice on the tape. What is your name? Joseph. Father of the world, Ranch, take the heart, my metal. Father, Sacred Heart, my metal. Okay, I don't remember if that is exactly what he says, but you sound exactly like him. <laughs> <laughs> Thank that was you. really good. Practicing my whole life. Your whole life, you just saw the movie. John goes into kind of a trance when he's listening, and that's when little boy Joseph, ghost boy, is like, ooh, this is the perfect chance for me to give him a vision. And so Joseph bestows upon John the vision of his murder. Oh, man. Probably the last thing that he wanted to see after he already saw his own child die. And it's it's pretty fucked up where we see a grown man drown a paraplegic child. The vision is of a of a young boy in a bathtub. He's wearing like a little medal. It's like a little necklace with a little round medal on it. A grown man grabbing his legs and holding him and pulling so that his head is under the water. And then it does explain some stuff because he starts, the boy starts banging on the sides of the tub and it's exactly the sound John has been hearing at the same time every morning that I think the gardener or the housekeeper, whatever, try to just explain it was the pipes because they're old. Uh, nope, <laughs> it is not. I thought it was like someone pounding on the piano keys until I saw this and was like, oh, no, it's the sound of a small boy drowning. Yeah, so we find out the little boy, his name's Joseph. Not only does he say what his name is, he says what his full name is. He says, my name is Joseph Carmichael. Uh, this this little ghost boy is really just like, I think you can help me, but let me give you as many clues as I can because who knows? Yeah, honestly... Thank God this ghost is actually being proactive as well, 
they have enough clues at this point where they can basically put everything together. He was saying stuff like body, ranch, the well, and then he says his name. John calls Claire. Uh, he's kind of wiped out from the visions, which this is important because this is ex- this explains what happens later at the end of the movie. He and Claire kind of do a little bit of research and they discover that Sacred Heart, which is a word he said, is an orphanage. And Claire kind of goes exploring when she comes to like help John. John's talking to her about everything that just happened. He has, I think he has her listen to the tape also, but... She, like, runs out of the room because she's upset. She's like, this is, this is fucked. And she, like, gasps and looks up the stairs. And the little kid's wheelchair is just at the top of the stairs. Uh, So creepy. I love so much about how this film is shot. There are so many good, like, it looks great. There, the way that, like, she is looking in horror and then he is walking towards her in the background and then we turn to see this wheelchair which you know a wheelchair at the top of the stairs isn't usually super ominous but they make it so creepy in this because they know joseph is there and joseph is listening oh my god it's so good they also when the like vision that john has happens there's this like crazy high speed tracking shot through the house up to joseph's room in the bathtub and it looks so good. I I really like this movie. I like the atmosphere they create, and I like the way they show it on screen. Yeah, it's really, really good. It gets a little wacky towards the end, but I think the build warrants it. Yeah. Uh, so you know how they were looking for files for the house earlier in the movie, and that lady was super sus? Minnie? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. Well, Minnie comes back, and Minnie talks to Senator Carmichael, and she's like, hey, I just want to give you a heads up. That they're looking into the house that your family owns. Oh my god, she's in cahoots with the senator. John and Claire know the name Joseph Carmichael because that is the name of the senator. And so they're looking through the senator's biography and they're like, it said he was sick. His father like took him overseas and he got better. And the thing I like is I think he was sick with like some sort of like severe arthritis. And I'm like, that's not something you cure. You would know. Yeah. I mean, okay. Did we know that his first name was Joseph? The little boy or the senator? The senator. Yes. Okay. Well, I don't know if we as an audience do, but Claire and John pointed out. Okay. I don't think I caught it because at that point I had thought that the senator was like joseph the ghost brother because i do think they mention he has a sibling at some point right or maybe yeah well did do they or yeah. did i make it up i don't know maybe they just mentioned senator carmichael and they don't call him by his first name that could also be a thing but i don't see why they wouldn't know what his first name was well i don't know i don't think it's that they don't know i think it's that they're withholding information from me or I completely missed it. I don't know. I'm going to have to pay more attention next time I watch this. No, they do know for sure because this is when they're like, oh my God. When they read the senator's bio, they're like, oh my God, if he was sick, what if he didn't get better? What if they replaced him with an orphan and passed him off as the real son? <gasps> so they do have a suspicion at this point. They're exactly right at this point. To be fair, Ghost Joseph has given them a lot of clues. That's true. Everyone has been very helpful. So they've been able to piece together everything so quickly. 
but there's still so much else that they have to find to prove that they're right. Like a little boy's skeleton. John goes to, he goes to a professional who does with, who deals with like old blueprints and he's showing him the Carmichael land. And he's like, yeah, there was a well in this time and this time and this time, but then they built a house over it. And he's like, give me the address for the house. So they drive to the house and they do have a conversation with the lady who now owns it. And she was just like, you know, um, thank you for like coming and talking to me and stuff. And like, it's a really riveting story, but you know, that's, it's kind of a stretch for me to believe there's like a ghost um, and she says this up until the point where her daughter is like, hey, um, I saw a little boy in the floor. <laughs> Can I sleep in your room? Yeah, she basically is like, I would not have believed you had my daughter not had this very weird dream that kind of lines up with what you're saying. Yeah, and it's kind of terrifying the when they show you the girl's like her vision dream. Oh, the whole movie from here on out, everything is just creepy and scary. They're not doing the slow burn thing anymore they're like we're just gonna scare the shit out of you which is fine also the house being built on top of a well with someone's uh corpse inside that's when i was like oh this is the ring this is just fully the ring now (laughs) and that does make me wonder if because i don't know enough about ringu to know like if it was semi-inspired by this, like there are elements inspired by this movie, or if it's just one of those weird things where it just kind of lined up. I mean, I'm I'm assuming that they probably were inspired by this because it's too big of a coincidence for that to be the exact same thing that happens. Yes. Also, there is one piece of information that I skipped over um, because it happens right before they go into the house. Okay. Like they visit the house at first. I don't think anyone's there. But they do get the name of the person who lives there, which is how they're able to contact her and, like, call her on the phone so they can actually come in and visit. But they find out that their theory about the son having died and being replaced, it's close. But they discover that the will, essentially it all comes down to money. Joseph Carmichael's father um, did not get along with his father, um, but his father was rich. And his father was going to give everything to his grandson, nothing to Joseph's father. So Joseph or Joseph's father would have probably been fine and let his grandson inherit and then or his son inherit. And then he also benefits from the riches. The problem is his only son and heir is very sick. And if he dies before he turns 21, all of all of Joseph's dad's, I guess Joseph's grandfather's money goes to charity. This kid, obviously, he's unwell and it's 1909. So there's not a great chance that he's going to live that long. So, And since John has already had that vision, he's like, oh my God, um, Senator Carmichael's father killed his son. And they must have went and adopted a new kid who is the current Joseph Carmichael, who's alive, the senator, and just passed him off as his real son. I don't know why they had to kill poor little Joey. They could have just let him live, but also had like, I don't know, a body double. Could have just adopted another kid. Yeah, not not great. But um, yeah, so um, Mrs. Gray is the name of the lady who owns the house currently where the well is underneath. Uh, after her daughter has the nightmare where they have this really cool visual where it's like a little boy floating under the floorboard floorboards. It's a, 
upsetting. She says, hey, I think what you said might be right. Feel free to just tear up the floor. Go ahead and do it. Actually, let me call my son. He's going to come help you. And that's what they do. And they find a bunch of bones. And then the police come. And they're like, did you find anything? And they say, oh, no, we didn't find anything with these bones. I think you should lie to cops. Good job, guys. And it's the medallion that they find. That's why they're like, we didn't find anything else because it has Joseph's name on it. And they want to take care of the rest by themselves, I guess. What happens is that they find the bones. They call the cops. The cops show up. And he's like, did you guys find anything else? Because he, like, knows the metal is there. And the cops are like, no, we dug. We couldn't find anything. And they leave. And then John goes back into the well. And he's like, I got to find this. And then good old ghost Joseph is like, you need all the help you can get. Let me raise this from the mud for you. I At this point, ghost Joey just needs to, I don't know, go and take care of all of this himself. It does not seem like he needed as much help as he's making it look. I do wonder if maybe, like, because he seems to almost be getting more powerful. So I wonder if it's a combination of both John finding that room and opening it. Because John was really wiped from the the murder vision. So I wonder if Joseph took some of his energy and is using that to manifest. Oh, okay. I like that theory. I don't know if it's true, but I will accept it as so. Yeah, so he finds the metal. And it's like a christening medal, so when you're when you're baptized, um, they give you this this medal, I guess. I'm baptized, no one gave me a medal. Yeah, I got a candle. I don't think I got anything. I mean I guess like now I get to go to heaven, but I don't think that's real, so it's not really a fair prize. Yeah, so John shows the medal to Claire. Claire is like, Oh my god, you need to turn this into the police. No, shut and up. And John goes, No. Still, it's an unsolved murder. No. Whatever is to be done has to be done by me. And I've got to get to Carmichael. I'm going to bring this to the senator. Because really, what, what can the police do? And clearly he's like, I think this is what Joseph wants. He wants some sort of like catharsis apology for this man taking his place, even if he didn't know he was doing it. And so that's what John does. He, he This is so pre-9-11. He <laughs> runs... He runs to Carmichael's, like, private plane as he's getting on, and he's, like, flinging the metal around going, look! The senator gets on the plane, and they fly off, and he's just like, Something, something's up here. Like, he doesn't know quite what's happening, but something unsettles him. This whole scene is insane, because I feel like he could have just calmly approached the senator, but instead he fully charges at him, and he's waving his arms <laughs> yeah. around and, like, angrily shouting like sir of course they're not gonna let you talk to the senator you look like you're about to assassinate him joseph does not get this nuance because john gets back and like the doors are slamming what is it you want what do you want from me i've done everything i can do there's nothing more to do Yeah, he's fully just, like, yelling at the house and at the ghost. This is when he does get a little hammy, but I think he's still grounded enough to make this performance work. Yeah, because, I mean, I think it's a fair response to be like, look, I am trying my hardest. And Joseph's like, I'm doing all the work. (laughs) I mean, he's not wrong. (laughs) Yeah, he does have a detective come to his house, though, that was clearly sent by the senator. Because they think that somehow he's trying to, like, blackmail the senator. 
because I can't remember exactly what John said at the airport, but something like your father, you know, like the detectives, like we know you have his necklace, his christening necklace, because he was waving it around. The senator would like it back. And he was like, well, if he wants it back. You better come back with a warrant. And the detective goes, okay, and immediately gets into a car accident and dies. Joey, what the hell? You were being such a good ghost up until right now. You can't just kill people, Joey. Yeah, it's like this flash of energy that he must expel because it also shatters a mirror and like one of the shards hits John in the neck and he's like bleeding. And he gets the detective of, or he gets the vision of the detective crashing. That's crazy. He's he's getting superpowers while he's bleeding out from his jugular. I don't understand the rules of this universe anymore. My guess is he is probably at this point still using John's energy to do a lot of this stuff. But I think it might also be something where, like, if you look at, like, the ring, the more vengeful and angry a spirit becomes, the more powerful they become. Oh, okay. I was just... Because of what I knew about the ring, I was very concerned that Joey was going to pull a Samara and everything is solved and fine, but he's still just pissed. Killing, yeah. Which would be fair. I mean, if I got drowned in the bathtub, I'd be mad too. Yeah, I would be mad too. But I don't take baths, so whatever. Yeah, and so the senator finally lands and he gets a phone call. He's like, did you take care of it? And you can see his face drop because they're like, um, the detective died in a car accident. Yeah, not great. Bad timing. And this is when Russell, our um, John Russell, takes your advice and calmly goes to the senator, tells him exactly what is happening and about how he was the replacement. And I believe it was Richard Carmichael, your father, who murdered the boy, his natural son, Joseph Carmichael. And there was a Substitution from the Sacred Heart Orphanage. The boy was taken to Europe, cured miraculously, and returned to inherit an empire. That changeling was you. So it's not jo- Joseph, the little boy that's a changeling. It's the senator. I like that little change. I think it's a good twist on the title. And Senator Carmichael is like, fuck you. Uh, I don't believe you. My father was a great man. He would never kill his son. And so Russell just leaves everything with him. And he's like, look, I've done everything I can to help little little Joey. It's all on you now. And if you don't do anything, it's your fault. I really like this whole interaction, too, because there really isn't a point where you think the senator is like the villain of the story. You can sympathize with him because he clearly had no idea that this happened that he like wasn't his biological son he's just sad that now people are like you know tarnishing his dad's good name and his dad is not the person he thought he was i think it's a really good performance from the man who plays the senator as well yeah and the the actor who plays the senator his name is melvin douglas he's like an academy award winning actor if you haven't rewatched this movie recently and you have Shudder, uh, The Last Drive-In did an episode with this movie. Um, and Joe Bob talks a lot about this actor and it was just really interesting. 
but that's just my quick plug. The last film that he was in is called Ghost Story, and I have had that recommended to me a lot, so we'll have to cover that in the future. The one thing I I liked about what I heard about um, Melvin Douglas was that he was an actor who kind of never said, there was never a role that he was like, well, I'm above this. He was like, yeah, I like this role. I'll take it. Good. There, I've I've been seeing, and and this movie is an example. I've been seeing a lot of stupid reviews of horror films where people will say things like, "This movie was so good, it shouldn't even be considered a horror movie because it's so good." And I'm glad that this guy wasn't walking around saying shit like that. God, if you want to fall into a rabbit hole, I do. look into George C. Scott's career because he got real crazy there at one point. He played Scrooge in one of the adaptations, right? Yeah. He apparently only started making bad movies because he wanted to own the rights to every movie he was in. So he kind of stopped making all these like really, really good movies because he just started making all these movies that he had like complete control on. I think the only other thing that I know I've seen him in was Firestarter and that he shouldn't have taken that one. Well, probably. I don't I don't think he knew, but you know. We'll probably at some point get to The Exorcist 3. And he's in that. Oh, yeah. He's really good in that. I'm excited for that one. I've heard it's really good. Yeah. The second one is uh, Bananas, but the third one's pretty good. I'm going to watch all of them because I don't like watching things out of order, even if they have no correlation to each other. John, at some point, gets evicted from his house, and Claire also gets fired from her job. I don't know when that happens. Probably before all of that shit. So there's there's no stakes anymore. Yeah, because at some point, I think before he went to the senator, Claire was like, I got fired from the historical society. Um, but, you know, screw them. I don't care. We're going to keep pursuing this, figuring this out. But after the senator happens, the senator uh, kerfuffle happens, Claire goes to the house to look for John. She keeps hearing random noises. So she thinks he's upstairs. So she kind of is going around the house looking for him. And she thinks he's upstairs in the attic. Uh, but no, little Joseph is up there with his wheelchair, pissed as fuck, and starts chasing her through the house and down the stairs. He is okay, mad. This part is a little cartoon. And throwing a tantrum. He is. He's just a little boy. So I can't blame him for reacting this way, for them not solving his murder the way he wanted them to. <laughs> yeah, and he, oh, uh, John gets Claire out of the house he goes back in. I can't remember why he goes back in, though. Probably to yell at Joey and be like, stop pushing my girlfriend down the stairs. Yeah. Uh, doesn't let Russell come up. Lots of wind. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Looks cool. The house is oh. on fire. <laughs> he's trying. And the stairs collapse. John is trying to, like, go upstairs because he's trying to, like, appease his spirit and get him to calm down. And Joey is just like, I'm mad. And he, like, pushes him off a balcony. John is, like, on the floor. He's. Got the wind knocked out of him. The chandelier is precariously rocking back and forth above him as all this wind is happening. And then John kind of looks to the right and the senator is there. And you're like, why is the senator there? And you cut back and the senator is still in his office, but he's like in a trance because he's been listening to the I tapes. thought he had had a heart attack because he's just slumped over on his desk. Uh, not yet. He's like looking at this. He's 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 looking at this portrait He's looking at the medals and he's hearing the tape and he's like shaking and his eyes are wide open. And this whole time, so they cut back between the house and him. So Joey has essentially like pulled, has made him like astrally project into the house. The senator like walks upstairs. The house starts catching on fire. The chandelier falls and John is able to roll out of the way. 
and the senator um, gets the vision of the drowning. I think it's too much for him, and he has a heart attack, and he passes out and dies. It's very sad. And Joseph got his revenge. Yeah, but revenge on who? Because it wasn't his fault. It was the dad's fault. I do feel bad, but at the same time, I I think if the senator had accepted it... Because even though he got very defensive, the way he got defensive about his dad almost came across as, I knew something was was off, but I could never figure it out. Because he must have been old enough to have some memories. I guess. I mean, I, I guess I understand from the standpoint that, like, he's reaping all the benefits of what should have been Joey's life, but Joey's life was cut short because his dad sucked. Yeah. So, I, okay, I guess... Yeah, from that perspective, justice is served. I think it's just sad. Yeah, it's all sad. There's really not a happy ending for anyone in this movie. John and Claire probably end up together, so they're John probably John had to happy. watch his family die like four months ago. And then he immediately moved into a haunted house. I don't know. He's probably just very tired. But now he's got a new sexy girlfriend. That he's probably too tired for. He doesn't want to hang out. He wants to take a nap. The last thing we get of the movie, besides John and Claire, like they run to the the senator's house and he's being wheeled out dead, is we cut back to the house. We cut back the next day. You do hear the music playing. It's, it's very unsettling. But the last thing you see is the remains of the house. It's completely burned to the ground, except the wheelchair is still there and the music box opens and starts to play. And then the movie cuts to black. The end. Wow. Good job, guys. Does that mean Joey didn't didn't actually get to move on and rest then? He's still at the house? I mean, that's kind of what it seems Trapped like. And maybe that's what you get just for sad. killing an innocent man just because you're an angry nine-year-old. I don't know. I think it's more about generational trauma. That's what everything is about. Always. But I don't know, unless they were like, let's set up a sequel for this movie, which wouldn't make sense either. How old do you think Joseph was, the little boy? Does it say at any point when he was born? I was thinking it was like nine or ten. So that's what I was thinking, too. He's like eight, nine or ten. So they they would have to have replaced him with a kid that was around that age. So what are the odds that Senator Carmichael doesn't have any memories of being an orphan? I feel like... He's still a kid. His brain is still developing. And his dad was obviously a psychopath. So he probably could have gaslit him into believing that he was his biological son. And there was still like doubt in his mind. But I think it's possible. Because I, I don't remember hardly anything from before I was like seven. Yeah, me either. But it might have been different if I were living in an orphanage. Maybe. I don't know. I don't have that experience or do I now my dad also made my mom get a paternity test after I was born because he was a psychopath Ugh. so unfortunately I am their bi- biological kid um but yeah that is the changeling yay maybe uh yeah let's go into ratings what's your general rating one out of five honestly listen I thought this movie was really good I tried with my critical brain to think of any complaints I had once this movie ended, and I didn't have any. So I'm just going to give it a five out of five. Me too, because the only complaint I have is, like, I I think some of the visual stuff doesn't hold up as well, but I don't really fault the movie for that, because I think for the time, that's the best they could do. Um, Like, the wheelchair chase at the end is almost kind of funny, 
But um, I think the the actress who plays Claire, her name escapes my brain. Trish Vanderveer. Van, Van yes. Something, yeah. Yeah, she sells it really well, so I think it works. And honestly, I would rather have a really stupid wheelchair chase look like that than if they were to have done it now. It would have just been shitty CGI. So I, I can forgive that a lot more. You know what movie does wheelchair scares really well? I don't know. Annabelle Creation. Did I watch that one? Yeah, it was the one where they like... Yeah, there's a girl in a wheelchair. We want... I cannot keep the names straight because we right. watched all of them at once. There's that scene where like she's getting pushed in the wheelchair and then there's that scene where she's like that the, the seat that like takes you up and down the stairs. Oh yeah. Oh my god. That one was good. We need to watch the last one or the... Annabelle Comes Home. <gasps> it was so much fun. Yeah, I'm very excited for that. It was that like a monster one. movie. Oh, that's what we should watch with Lauren. But yeah, five out of five. I don't have any complaints. I think the performances were great. I think they set up a great atmosphere. All of the scares were great. Everything was really good. What's your horror struck scare scale? I'm interested to know. I mean, listen, I've watched a lot scarier movies since we've started. So this one, it's a one. Like, it does set up some really good scares, and it's pretty creepy throughout, but it, it didn't scare me. I don't know. I think, I, I think I'm going to give this one a two. Okay. The rubber ball scene, like, I just think about, like, if I were in that position, I would shit myself. That is the only thing I wrote down. Usually I'll do my notes and write the rating and horror struck rating at the very end. And I wrote one out of ten with a side note that just says red ball was the scariest part of the movie. And like finding a secret room, like I think sounds exciting, but in reality uh, is terrifying. I mean, if I found a secret room in my house right now, my only concern would be, is someone living in the walls? But then my next thought would be, oh, it's just Brahms. It's fine. Love you. Love Uh, that boy. He can live in the Um, walls. I don't care. Yeah, but I think that's going to be it for this week. Uh, What are we doing next week? You tell me. It's your turn. You already know. We've already talked about it. Yeah, and you tell them what movie you want to pick. It's one of my favorite horror movies of all time. It is the South Korean horror film, A Tale of Two Sisters. I've seen this, sort of. I remember seeing this movie when I was in high school And my sister Sarah was in college. And the reason I remember that is because she and her boyfriend at the time, they came down and they spent the night at my parents' house. Like, I think he slept on the couch. But they went to the video store and rented this movie because they had heard it was really scary. And it scared the shit out of me. But it was so good. I am excited to rewatch this because I also watched it, I think maybe when we had just gotten out of high school. We went to our friend Kevin's house. And they basically had like a movie theater little room in their house. So we all sat around and watched it. And there were several points where you turned to me and you were just like, don't look. So I was watching this movie through my hands. I have no idea what the actual like scary visuals look like. I remember the story because it has a great twist. I just got the chills. I don't I don't want to see. I'm not it. excited to like see how scary this movie is, but I am at the same time. I love this movie. It is so good. It's so scary. The story is so good. The pacing is such a good slow burn. I remember one of the things that stuck out to me that I still remember from watching 
is the movie is about a family. It's about a little girl. The acting from the little girl in this movie is so good. Yeah, yeah. Because the movie is about two sisters who their mom has recently passed away and they're moving in with their dad and his new girlfriend essentially or i don't I, are they married it's yeah the stepmom yeah they're married stepmom it's just so good and yeah we'll talk about what happens next week because it's very hard to talk about this movie without immediately giving away a twist i'm very excited and i think that's is that it anything else um anything else let's see uh we, we're on patreon now i think you're gonna say that in the outro but we're also on tumblr now i bullied mike flanagan into getting a tumblr and then um, <laughs> realized that, oh, shit, we don't have one for the horror struck socials. So I should make one, too, so that we can go stalk Mike. So if you guys want to follow us along there, horror struck pod on Tumblr. And yeah. OK, that's about it. What's what what's what's Mike? What's Mike's uh, handle on Tumblr? Uh, oh, yeah. Go follow Mike, too. He is uh, Flanagan Film on tumblr also i don't think you bullied him i think he just asked for like what should i what should i also be on and you're like tumblr and he said okay yeah i said i don't know if that's really bullying but please get a tumblr and he said all right i'm on tumblr and he looks like he's having a great time he's answering a bunch of questions he he's having the time of his life over there and that's gonna be it for this week's episode of horror struck You can follow us over on Twitter and Instagram at HorrorStruckPod or over on Facebook at HorrorStruckPodcast. And guess what, guys? We're on Patreon now. So if you want to support us and to become part of our horror family, click the link down below. And as always, stay spooky. Bye. Bye!